I really believe this. Thankful people are happier people. If you believe that, say amen. In other words, if you're a person who has a thankful attitude, not just to God, mainly to God, but you're thankful to others for what they have done and how they've blessed your life, you're going to be a more positive person. You're going to be a more upbeat person a more upbeat person, you're just going to be a happier person. And what I know is this, and what you know is this too, if you think about it, happier people are better witnesses for Christ than unhappy people. Now, think about this. Let's just play like somebody's an unhappy person. They're saved, but they're not a very happy person. They're, they're kind of a negative person. They're down in the dumps. The glass is always half empty. They're saved. They know that they're saved, but they don't really have the glow of God on their face. They don't really have the joy of God in their heart. They don't, they don't really have any gladness about their life, and so, but they know they ought to be sharing their faith. They know they ought to be telling other people how to be saved and inviting people to church. And so this unhappy, miserable, down-in-the-dumps Christian goes out in the community and says, hey, I just want to tell you about Jesus and how he's changed my life and what he's done for me, he can do for you. Well, the person that that person's talking to is thinking to themselves, I'm not sure if I want what you have because I don't think it's done you any good. But think about this. If we have in our hearts the joy of the Lord, if we have gladness, you know, it talks about, I read it in the, one of the Psalms yesterday that talks about Christ loves righteousness and hates wickedness, and so he has been anointed with the oil of gladness more than all of his companions. If we have gladness in our hearts and joy and peace and gratitude and thanksgiving, that is much more appealing to an unsaved person. They can look at us and say, you know what, that person is not perfect, and they don't live a problem-free life, but they do have peace. They do seem joyful. They do seem to have a certain amount of gladness and gratitude and thanksgiving in their heart. And the unsaved person says to himself, whatever it is they have, I'd like a dose of that in my life. And so maybe today, by us spending this time thinking about the importance of being a thankful person, maybe this is like the precursor or the forerunner to the sermon that we'll do in two weeks, because next week's Mother's Day, that we'll do in two weeks about how to reach our community for Christ. Now, before we get into our main text today, I want to put some verses on the screen, and some of these are going to be different from what we had on Wednesday night, but the first one is in 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 15. I want you to look at what the Scripture says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, when we think about sharing our faith and reaching our community for Christ and leading people to get saved, we think about us going to them. And we're supposed to do that. Some, I mean, the uh, Great Commission, Jesus said go. So we, there is a sense in soul winning and evangelism, we go to unsaved people. But did you know, according to that verse, there is a sense in which unsaved people should come to us, and they should look at our lives and see the things I've mentioned, plus hope that we, as we look to the future, we have hope, and they should come and ask us, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? One of the ways that you can gauge your spiritual health is to ask yourself this question. When is the last time someone came to you, not when you went to them, but when they came to you and they said, what gives with you? Why are you so peaceful? How are you so happy? Why is it that you have so much hope when you look into the future? When I look into the future, I don't see anything good at all. And so the Scripture says if we're walking in unbroken fellowship with Jesus, trusting Him and leaning on Him, that people should notice that in our lives. It says in Psalm 34, they looked to Him and were radiant 
and their faces were not ashamed. I wonder today, would those who know you best describe you as radiant and joyful and thankful? And how long has it been since someone came to you and asked the secret for your joy? So, well, that's one of the verses I wanted us to see. Now, the next verse kind of builds on that. It says this, God, uh, Isaiah is speaking to God. And Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so what is the key to having this peace and joy? It all kinds of package deal. If you have peace, you're going to have the joy and the gladness and the gratitude and the thankfulness and the hope and all those things. And so what is the secret? How do we have that? Well, that verse tells us. It says that God will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. And so it's all about focus. Focus is a powerful thing. If our minds and our hearts and our thoughts are focused on God, he's going to keep us in perfect peace. But if that's true, the opposite of that must also be true. If our minds and hearts and thoughts are not focused on God, if they're focused on us, or if they're focused on something else in life, then we're not going to have that perfect peace. Now think about what I've just said. If you're focusing on God, trusting in him, you're going to have not only peace in the Hebrew, that shalom, shalom, double peace, perfect peace. You're going to have that. People are going to see that and people are going to come ask you where that come from. But if you're not focusing on God, you're not going to have that. And so you're not going to be as effective witness for Jesus Christ. Now, one of the ways, and this kind of ties back into what we were thinking about on Wednesday night, one of the ways that we can keep our focus on God, our mind and our thoughts on God, is not just by trusting Him, that's the main thing, but also by being thankful to God for all the blessings that He's given to us in our lives. Now let's move into the Psalms. I wanna show you this third verse today. Psalm 92 and verse one says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Let's say that together. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Now think about this. If it's good to give thanks to the Lord, that must mean it's bad not to give thanks to the Lord, right? And so we want to do that which is good and not that which is bad. Another psalm that maybe is even more familiar, Psalm 100 and verse 4. We all love this psalm. I think it's coming up. There it is. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And so when we come into God's presence, whether it's corporately like we do on Sundays or whether it's in our own homes for our private devotions, when we come into God's presence, we are to enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Now, most of us, at least I do this many times, I enter into the presence of God with my prayer list. And I say, now, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I think I need you to do for me. And it's almost like we go into God's presence and we say, come on, God, now let's just give it to me. This, this is what I need. Well, in prayer, there is a place for petition and supplication and asking for those things. But the scripture says, don't start your praying by asking God for everything you need. Don't enter into his courts with petition. Enter into his courts, enter into his gates, what? With thanksgiving, thanking him for all that he has given to you. Now, I came across a quote. I'm reading a book by Max Licato called Traveling Light. And if you're looking for a good book to read, I recommend that. He breaks down the 23rd Psalm. And the other night I'm reading that book and I came across a quote that Lakato made that I thought was so good. He's talking about the sufficiency of the Lord being our shepherd. And so the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything I need in him. And notice what Max Lakato said. What I have in God 
is greater than what I don't have in life. Now, you think about that. Many times in our praying, what are we asking for? We're asking God to give us what we don't have. And we think, God, if you'll give me what I don't have, then I'll be happy. Lakato said, that's wrong thinking. That's not even true. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What was he saying? He's saying, what I have in God, what we have in God is greater than what we don't have in life. And there's something about being thankful and being grateful and taking the time to think and say, God, I just want to thank you for the blessings that you've given to me. I think every one of us here today would agree that if we would spend a little time thinking, we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? I mean, we do. And the main thing what we have to be thankful for is God himself. What we have in God is greater than what we don't have in life. And then one other verse, and then we'll get into our main text today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In every situation, no matter what you're going through, whether it's difficult or wonderful or painful or easy, whatever the situation, in everything, we should give thanks. Now, we all know that verse and love that verse, and yet sometimes in life, it's hard for us to do that. In everything, to give thanks. I was, I've been mindful of this sermon ever since Wednesday night when my dad said he'd like me to preach it again. And so, all week since Wednesday night, Every situation I've been in, I've been thinking about being thankful. I mean, I guess my mind is just hypersensitive right now about being thankful. And I've been thinking about being thankful in every situation. And so I read, I don't know if you saw the Houston Chronicle article earlier in the week. It came out on Thursday. And there, here was the title of the article, Report. Houston is one of the fastest sinking cities on earth and could disappear. Houston is sinking at a rate faster than the rise of sea levels, which could lead to the city disappearing completely in less than 100 years. The study says at the rate Houston is sinking, I was interested to learn this, Houston is the 10th fastest sinking city in the world. The city of Houston is sinking at 1.95 centimeters a year. And at this rate, the city will have completely disappeared by the year 2100. So I read this the other day, and I'm thinking about our verse, in everything, give thanks. And I thought, well, how in the world can I be thankful about the fact that Houston won't even be around in 80 years, according to this? Now, whether this is true or not, time will tell. And this thought came to my mind. I'm thankful I live in Pasadena, not Houston. <laughs> Because our city's doing fine. We're not going down. Now, many of you have a Houston address, and we're going to just wave you goodbye while you drift on off. But I thought, you know, sometimes you have to think, man, that's a gloomy report. How can I be thankful? And then I thought this, because I thought, well, a lot of people in the services on Sunday live in Houston. Now, I've just ruined your day, right? You're thinking, well, maybe I won't paint that house. And what's the point? I mean, it's going to be gone. But I was thinking this, you know what? Even if this is true, Let's just play like that this report proves to be true. And in the year 2100, the city of Houston has disappeared from the face of the earth. You know what I'm thankful for? 
I'm thankful that for those of us who are saved, before the city of Houston sinks, we're gonna rise to meet the Lord in heaven. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we serve an unsinkable God. I'm thankful he lives in an unsinkable place. And I'm thankful he's made a promise not to let any of us sink as long as we trust in him. Amen? So that, that's just a little example, maybe silly, but an example. You read something gloomy like that, you think, man, I've gotta think. How can I give thanks in every situation? Well, that was how I tried to deal with that. Now, that said, open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 17. And I do want us to look at a very familiar story today that uh, happened in the life of Jesus when he healed 10 men who had leprosy. Now, in Bible times, leprosy it certainly would be true even today in, in some parts of the world, but leprosy was not only a debilitating disease, it was a socially ostracizing disease. We, in the last couple of years, we've heard a lot about social distancing. Well, when people had leprosy, they had to social distance more than six feet. They had to social distance. They couldn't go to the synagogue. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't be around their family. Husbands couldn't be around wives. Wives couldn't be around their children. If you had leprosy, you were a social outcast. And the only people that you could associate with were others who had that same disease because it was a highly contagious disease. And so in Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, we read how Jesus dealt with 10 men who had leprosy. Now it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. Well, they, are all, they had to be afar off. That was, the, that was the law of the day. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They knew that, that this Jesus, this man, could heal them of their disease. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And so Jesus now has given the order to these 10 men. They, they said, Lord, heal, heal us of this leprosy, please. It's interesting. Jesus did not say, you're healed. Jesus said this, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, that's a strange thing for Jesus to say to 10 men who had leprosy. Why did he say that? Because in Bible times, if you had leprosy and you had been healed of the leprosy, you would then go show yourself to the priest and they would verify your healing. But it's interesting here that Jesus told the disciples to show themselves to the priest before their leprosy had gone away. And so when they turned around and started heading to Jerusalem to show themselves to the priest, that was when their leprosy left. That's another sermon for another day. But again, at the end of verse 14, it says, and so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. In other words, as they took a step of faith. Have you noticed in your life that many times it is when we step out in faith that we are healed, that we are delivered, that we are blessed. God honors that. And that's what happened. And so it was as they went, they were healed. And so they're going to Jerusalem to show themselves to the priests. And as they're walking along, the leprosy disappears. Well, nine of these men say to themselves, this is unbelievable. Jesus has truly healed our leprosy. And so no doubt they picked up the pace. They may have started running to Jerusalem, running to the temple. And they were thinking, finally, we're going to get back to normal. That's what they wanted more than anything else, to get back to a normal life. But this one man, this Samaritan who had been healed, 
He looked down at his skin, and he noticed the same thing. I've been healed. And certainly he was thinking, now I can get back to normal too. But this man made a decision. He said, there's something more important to me than getting back to normal, and that is getting back to Jesus and thanking him for healing me of this disease. And so he took the time to do what? He turned around. And he went back to the place where Jesus was just for the purpose of thanking him. Now, thanksgiving is a powerful, powerful thing. And what I want to mention today are just three things here, three requirements really for being a thankful person. The first thing I would say is this, thanksgiving takes time. It takes time to be thankful. First of all, in this man's life, it took the time of turning around, going back to where Jesus was, to that village, finding Jesus, because Jesus was probably gone, had gone to somewhere else at this moment, and the man took his time and he found Jesus. But the same is true for us. It takes time to be thankful. It takes time to make a list of all the things that you're thankful for, whether that's a written out list or whether that's a mental list. You have to think. You know, it doesn't take, it takes some time, but it doesn't take as much time to go into the presence of God and to begin asking God to give you whatever it is that you want him to give you. I mean, because you already know what you want and you know what you feel like you need. So that doesn't take as much time. But to give thanks takes time because we have to think of all the things that God has done for us and then we have to begin to thank him for those things things. This past Sunday, we recognized Brother John Morgan was in our 915 service. We were so grateful to have him here last week. And last Thursday afternoon, my dad and I got to spend a couple of hours with him. And he was telling us a story how not long after he had been called into the ministry, he, had, he was married, and he and his wife were called to be, he was called to be the pastor of Posey Baptist Church back in Hopkins County, just near, near Sulphur Springs, where, where we came from. And Posey Baptist Church, interestingly, was one of the first churches I preached at in 1988 when God called me to preach. But John Morgan ended up pastoring that church for, for, for two years. Well, after he had been there about six months, he became very discouraged. He, he was telling us this story the other day. There was a lady in that church who every Sunday morning after the morning service would come up to him and say, now, Brother John, this afternoon, I want to give you the names of five people that you need to visit. Well, John was glad to visit those people, but he's thinking to himself, I was going to spend the afternoon getting up the evening sermon because he was a full-time seminary student and he's preached the morning sermon. He's driven all the way from Fort Worth to Hopkins County, but she, she gave him the names. And so he spent his Sunday afternoon on this particular Sunday going to all five of those people. Well, that night he goes back to the service and the service is over and the lady comes up to him and she didn't say, I enjoyed the sermon. I was blessed with what you said. She said this to him. She said, Brother John, did you visit all five of those homes today that I gave you this morning? And he said to her, he said, well, I, I visited four of them and I caught all four of them at home and had good visits with the four. But the fifth one that you asked me to visit, I was, I, I was unable to make contact with him today. And instead of saying to him, well, thank you for trying and thank you for hitting four out of five, she said to him, she said, well, that's a shame because that was the one I really wanted you to see. And so it discouraged him. And he and his wife, Beth, got in their car about 8, 8.30 or 9 o'clock on Sunday night in Hopkins County, and they drove back to seminary, Fort Worth. Well, he told us the other day that his parents used to call him, Dr. Morgan, now who used to pastor First Baptist, used to call John every Sunday night at midnight. 
This was before cell phones, and of course, we had to use the landline, and they knew that by midnight, John and Beth would be back at, at their apartment in Fort Worth. And so he called John on this particular Sunday night, and he, mom and dad are both on the phone, and John, how was the day? How was the day? And Beth was so tired, she had already gone to bed, and he said, well... It was a good day. We had good services. Here's what I preached on. Maybe one or two were saved. And, and he told his dad about this lady. And he said, Dad, it is every week. This lady comes up to me, and she's asking me to do really more than I can do. And he said, you know, I've been at this church for six months, and it's, it's a small country church. And he said, you know, I'll be honest with you, Dad. I just have about had it, and I think I'm going to resign this church and, and ask God to give me another church. And so Dr. Morgan was listening to that. And And when John got finished saying that, he said, Dr. Morgan said, he said, you know, John, he said, I understand your frustration. That can happen. He said, but you know, there are a lot of young preacher boys your age who would give anything to have a church to preach in. And God's given you a church. And I know it's a long drive, and I know this lady's driving you crazy, but, but, but God has given you an opportunity to preach. He said, so what I want you to do is make me a promise before you go to bed tonight I want you to thank God that he's given you a place to preach. He said, do you promise me you'll do that? And John said, yes, sir, you're right. You're right. And he did that, and he went on pastor that church 18 more months. He didn't quit. And so Dr. Morgan had kind of scolded him a little bit. And, got, and then trying to lighten the mood a little bit, as fathers sometimes would do to their sons, Dr. Morgan said, i tell you what else, John. After you thank God for giving you a place to preach, you be sure to thank God you didn't marry that lady. (laughs) And so John was telling us that story the other day, and I'm thinking to myself, now, you know, that's a good example of a father, a veteran in the ministry, been pastoring for decades, giving his young preacher son some advice and basically saying to him, You've got a reason to be thankful, even if you don't know that you do. God's given you a place to preach. So when it says, in everything, give thanks, yes, and it takes time. Sometimes we have to think. Now, second thing about thanksgiving. Number two, thanksgiving touches God's heart. Jesus said to this Samaritan who came back, said, were there not nine who I healed? Where are they, where are they, or are not, were there not 10? Where are the other nine? And so Jesus noticed that nine people failed to come back and give thanks. But he also noticed that this man did come back and give thanks. Remember this, when you take the time to be thankful, God, even though the church is difficult and this lady is is asking too much, God, I thank you you've given me a place to preach. God, I thank you for, for the things that you've done for me in my life. Remember this, that thanksgiving touches the heart of God. And then the third thing I would say about thanksgiving, it changes our focus. There's something about being thankful that takes our focus off of the problem and puts our focus on the problem solver. When we take time to be thankful, it takes our focus off of the burden and onto the burden bearer. When we take time to be thankful, it takes our mind and our focus off of the circumstance that we're facing and it puts our mind and our heart on the Christ who is greater than that circumstance. I read a little thing to the Wednesday night group this past week. I'll I'll read it again today. It says this, thankfulness leaves no room for discouragement. I once read a legend of a man who found the barn where Satan kept his seeds ready to be sown in the human heart. And on finding the seeds of discouragement more numerous than all the others, he learned that those seeds could be made to grow almost anywhere. 
When Satan was questioned, he reluctantly admitted that there was one place in which he could never get those seeds to thrive. And where is that, asked the man. And Satan replied, in the heart of a grateful person. In the heart of a grateful person. And that's a, that's a story. That's a made-up story. But in that story, there's some truth. And the truth is, if we're grateful people, if we're thankful people, the seeds of discouragement will have a tough time growing in our heart. Why? What is it that discourages us? The problems, the needs, the things we don't have, the burdens, the circumstance, the situation. But when we change our focus off of that and on to God and we take the time to be thankful and we say, God, I want to thank you for all that you've done, it totally changes our focus and we're much less likely to get discouraged. I want to say to the person here today who is discouraged, And we all get discouraged from time to time. So I don't want to portray that I don't because we all do. But I want to say specifically to the person today who is discouraged, to the person who's watching at home today, you say, John, at this time in my life, I am discouraged. The best thing that you could do would be to become a thankful person and begin to think about all the things that God has done for you and then to thank God for those blessings. And so let me ask you this. Would you describe yourself and would those who know you best describe you as a thankful, grateful, positive person? Or would they describe you as a negative, complaining, ungrateful, negative person? You know, I think if the truth be known, sometimes we're more thankful than we are at other times. But this is something in my own life that God just really convicted me of Uh, not, well, it's been a little bit of time ago, but not too awfully long ago. I just felt in my heart, I I had been in a setting one night and I was in a conversation with some folks. I can't even remember what the topic was. But as we were discussing, I don't remember what we were talking about, but as we were discussing it, I made a comment that wasn't rude. It was nothing like that, but it was, it came across as complaining and negative. And I don't think the people I made the comment to thought anything about it. We went on in the conversation, but I thought something about it. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be a complainer. I went from where I was with those people on that particular night, and I went to the grocery store, and I was telling the group on Wednesday night, I was at HEB, and I was on the cookie aisle, which I highly recommend when you go to HEB. (laughs) And looking for what cookies, I love cookies. I heard Chuck Swindoll say one time, his biggest fear is that we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, cake was good for you. (laughs) And you're eating it. So I feel that way with cookies. But anyway, and I'm thinking about the negative complaining comment I had made. And I got convicted about that. And here I am with my buggy and looking at the cookies. And I did something I'd never done in in my life. I, pray, I don't think I've ever prayed, at least not a real serious prayer in the, in the grocery store, other than just having conversation with the Lord. But I said, God, I want to make a commitment here tonight on this, on this aisle that I'm on, that with your help, I'm not ever going to complain about anything else as long as I live. And I said, now, I need you to help me with that, because if you don't help me, I'll, I will complain. Well, I meant that commitment. I, I meant that. And some weeks later, I found myself in another conversation, and I, I, I said something that was negative. It was complaining. And as soon as I said it, I got convicted. Remember, John, you made a commitment, 
But you're not going to complain. You're going to be a grateful and thankful person. And so that's something that God's been working in my own life. I mean, I'm a positive person anyway, but I want to be more of a thankful person. Now, I want to end today by sharing one more Bible verse, and then I want to give you a couple of ways, some suggestions of something that you could do that would help you to be a more thankful person. Now, the Scripture verse, we looked at Psalm 92.1 a minute ago. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 92.2, you can look it up when you get home. The very next verse, it says, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness at night. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and to declare your faithfulness at night. I want to encourage you, beginning tonight, and then you can do it in the morning and tomorrow night, to begin your day thanking God for something that he's done in your life. Now, if you say, well, John, I'm just having a hard time thinking about what that might be. Turn back just for a moment to Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, read an interesting story here. These disciples had returned on, from a mission assignment, a ministry opportunity Jesus had given them. And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, it says, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, one of the greatest verses in the New Testament, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus said to those disciples, they came back, they said, Jesus, we've never seen anything like this. You gave us the authority to cast out unclean spirits. We've been going out there in your name doing what you told us to do. And Jesus, we have encountered people who are demon-possessed. And we have said to them, in the name of Jesus, demon, you be gone from that person. And we have seen exorcisms. We have performed exorcisms. Demons have left people's bodies. And we're so excited about this. Jesus said, good, I'm glad you're using the authority I gave you, but remember this, don't rejoice because that happened. Rejoice because you're saved. For those of us, like in, in, in today's world, it'd be like Jesus, we come in here after Easter, say, Jesus, last week, there were 50 people almost who got saved on Easter Sunday. Jesus said, great, man, that's wonderful. We're rejoicing in heaven on that, and you ought to be rejoicing too. But remember this, your ultimate rejoicing in life should not be that 50 people got saved. Your ultimate rejoicing in life should be that you're saved. We're going to begin every morning. We're going to end every night. Before we get out of bed in the morning and before we drift off to sleep at night, thanking God for some blessings in our lives. I started doing this a long time ago, and I try to do it seven days a week. I did it this morning. Before I get out of bed, as I've told you before, I am not a morning person. You know, some people wake up singing, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I wake up thinking, Lord, I know it's the day you've made, and in two hours, I'll rejoice and be glad in this, but not yet. So I move slower anyway in the morning. But I started something a long time ago that has been a real blessing to me, and it's helped me to change my focus from problems and burdens and challenges to God, and it's really helped my life. I tried to count up, and, and it's an, I will say this, my list as I've developed it has become a rather extensive list. There are well over 30 things that are on my list that I just 
say to God every day. There, it, it, it is, there is repetition in my list because when I do this, I'm thanking God for the same thing every day. You say, well, Jesus said we shouldn't have vain repetition. Yeah, mine's not vain, but it is repetition. It's not vain because it, it means something to me. And I'm not going to go through all, all of what those things are, but I'll tell you how I start my prayer. I'll give you the first five before I get out of bed in the morning. I say, God, I want to thank you today that I'm saved. God, I want to thank you today that I know that I'm saved because that's a big deal to me. God, I thank you that I'm healed in my body. And not only that, I thank you that I'm healthy and strong and free from all disease. God, not only that, I thank you that you are absolutely in control of my life. And then from there, I go on praying. I get to my family. I certainly get to First Baptist Pasadena. And I'm thanking God for a lot of things. And so that's how I begin my day. When I come to the end of my prayer time, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the last eight things that I thank God for in my praying. And I'm just sharing this for you today. I'm not sharing everything I thank God, but I'm just sharing this today because I want you to know that you have some of the same things to be thankful for that I have to be thankful for, much of the same thing. What I do, by the way, in the morning, I try to thank God for what I would call the staples, the, the main things in my life. And then when I get in bed at night, here's what I do. And I'm going to tell you the eight things and I'll stop. When I get in bed at night, I review the day. And I just thank God for things. If I've spoken at a funeral, if I've done a wedding, if I've preached, if I've whatever. God, I thank you today for helping me do that. R.T. Kendall, who's spoken here many times, says that when he and his wife, Louise, get in bed at night, the last thing they do before they go to sleep, there they are in bed together. They say, now let's take a moment and let's thank God for three blessings that he's given us today. And they review the day and they pick out the top. Now, I do it slightly differently. I, I, at the end of the day, I review the day and thank God. They, but what I'm saying is I mainly do my Thanksgiving in the morning. He does his at night. I think it'd be best if we did it morning and night. The last eight things I thanked God for today before I got out of bed was this. I said, God, I want to thank you that I have eyes that I can see. You know, if you were blind today and all of a sudden God restored your sight, for as long as you lived, you'd never stop thanking him for your vision. And yet most of us have vision. When's the last time you thanked God for that? I said, God, I want to thank you because I had an eye problem. God, I want to thank you for my eyes that I can see. God, I want to thank you for my ears that I can hear. I have a friend. She's a member of our church. She has lost about 60, 40, 50, or 60% of the hearing in one of her ears. The doctor said it'll probably never come back. I have another friend about my age who goes to another church. And he said to me, he said, John, I woke up and the vision out of one of my eyes, I've lost 70%. And the doctor says it'll probably never come back. He said, I don't even know what happened, how, how this happened, but I lost the vision. Let me tell you something. I say, God, I thank you that I have eyes that I can see. I thank you I have ears that I can hear. Thank you, God, that I have legs that I can walk, a body that I can digest food. Unless you've ever had a problem digesting food, you, don't, you ate breakfast this morning and took it completely for granted. God, I thank you that I have a mind that I can think and process thoughts clearly. God, I thank you that I have vocal cords that I can talk. God, I thank you for that. God, I thank you that I have lungs that I can breathe. And I thank you that I have a heart that just keeps on beating. 
I'm saying to you today, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12 in the Living Bible, if you have good eyesight and good hearing, you ought to thank God who gave them to you. And I'm saying to you today, if we would take the time to think, we have a ton of blessings for which to be thankful. And at the beginning of the list, we should remember what Jesus said. Don't rejoice that the subject's The demons are all subject to you. Don't rejoice primarily that all the people are being saved. Rejoice over that, but not primarily. You rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And I would say to the person even today who's listening at home, maybe you say, John, my eyes aren't what they used to be. My ears aren't what they used to be. My legs aren't what they used to be. My mind's not what it used to be. My voice is not what it used to be. I would say this, if you're saved, Even in the midst of that situation, you have something to be thankful for. And if you would just say, when you get finished hearing this sermon, God, I thank you that I'm saved. I thank you that I know that I'm saved. What that's going to do, it's going to touch the heart of God, and it's going to change your focus completely. Amen.